Shalom, this is Avigail Rak. Today we begin our fifth unit in Parashat Ve'eshev. We begin chapter 39, the story of Yosef in the house of Potiphar, or maybe the story of Yosef and Potiphar's wife. After leaving, this, leaving Yosef two classes ago, and we went on a tangent to discuss the story of Yosef and Tamar, today we return to the story of Yosef. So the first verse in chapter 39 goes back to that last verse of chapter 37, to remind us where we had ended off with Yosef. Chapter 39, verse 1. And Yosef was taken down to Egypt, and he was purchased by one of Paro's officials, Potiphar, who is Sarhatabachim, the chief executioner, who had brought him from the hands of the Egyptians, who had taken him down to Egypt. So this verse is almost identical to the last verse of chapter 37, with one exception. In our story here, he is sold by the Ishmaelites to the Egyptians, whereas in chapter 37, he is sold by the Midianites. Truth is, he's not sold by the Midianites in chapter 37. It says he's sold by the Midianites, which may or may not be the same as the Midianites. Assuming it's the Midianites, perhaps we can resolve this contradiction by saying that indeed it is the Ishmaelites who are the ones who actually sold Yosef to the hands of the Egyptians, as it says here. But it is the Midianites who had taken out of the pit and indirectly caused him, him to be sold to the Egyptians. Kushner. Let's begin verse 2. We're going to be reading the next four verses, verse 2 through verse 5. Vayhi Adonai et Yosef, vayhi ishmatzliach, vayhi beveit Adonav hamitzli. as I translate these next these verses, I might try to pay attention if it's, uh, to any repetition, any word that seems to repeat itself several times. I think we have at least two words that uh, are what we call milot manchot here that repeat themselves uh, more than two or three times. And God was with Yosef, and he was successful, and he was in his master's home, and his master saw that God was with him. And Yosef found favor in the eyes of his master, and he put him in charge over his household, and entrusted him over everything in his hands. And from the time his master pointed him over his household, God had blessed the household of the Egyptian in merit of Yosef, and God's blessing was present in the house and in the field. So if you paid attention, of course, the repeating word here is God, God, God. Um, also, you might notice the word home, which we'll get to later. At first glance, these verses do seem rather repetitive. But a closer reading suggests that these verses are describing a gradual ascending success of Yosef in the house of Potiphar. The structure of these verses are as follows. Verse 2, which is the title, the introductory verse, and God was with Yosef, is after that we have to put in a colon. God was with Yosef in what way? The next few verses are going to describe in what way is it, it does it manifest himself, God being with Yosef. His master recognizes that Yosef is exceptional, and he appoints him to be, to be in charge of work, labor, in the house. Being in the house is always better than being outdoors. After he's appointed to work in the house, he's appointed as his master's personal servant, Vayesharetoto. 
Shadal observes that the verb lesharet is a more honorable verb than la'avod. A misharet is less degrading than an eved. Though Yosef is sold as an eved, now he is a misharet. He is a personal servant to Potiphar. The next promotion that Yosef receives, he is appointed over the entire household. And verse 5, and the house of the Egyptian and all of his assets in the house and out the house are blessed by God. If you recall, when Yosef is first, Yosef is first introduced to us in chapter 37, and we had mentioned this more than once, this, he never mentions God's name. Yosef in chapter 37 is so full of himself, walking around, talking about the family, bowing down to him, flaunting his coat, never, not once, attributing the dreams to God, one who is so full of himself has no room in his life for God. Only once Yosef has been stripped of his coat and stripped of everything and going down to the pit, and from the pit he goes down to Egypt, only once he has nothing, then does he begin to find God in his life. And from here onwards, there's undoubtedly no character in Tanakh who will mention God's name as much as Yosef does, to the extent that even all the surrounding, those who surround him, begin talking of God. His master recognizes God's presence around Yosef. Verse 6. And Potiphar left everything he had in the hands of Yosef, and Yosef was in charge of everything. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate, and Yosef was good-looking, was beautiful. There's a great deal of information here, which seems not to connect one to each other. It seems like we have like three segments to these verses. The beginning of the verse tells us about Yosef's responsibilities, everything is in care. Then we're told something about the uh, food that Potiphar eats or doesn't eat. And then we're told of Yosef's beauty. So let's try to uh, make some sort of uh, cohesive understanding of this entire verse. So, Vayazov Kolashelo, Biad Yosef, Loyada Itom Uma. Potiphar left everything in the hands of Yosef, and he does not know of anything. Shadal suggests that this is a continuation of the descriptions of the promotions. If before he left Yosef in charge of the household, verse 6 tells us that Yosef does not need to give Potiphar any account of his dealings. He has a free hand in running the estate. And then the verse continues. Potiphar knows nothing except for food, according to this reading, except for the food that he ate. That he, Potiphar cares about nothing. As the only thing he cares about, he has a meal at the end of the day. Potiphar is not involved with anything in the house. The only thing he sees, the only thing he knows, is his um, is his meal that he has at the end of the day. That's suggested by the Rashbam. Ramban tells us that this verse is not talking about Yosef's success, but rather about him being trustworthy. Telling us that. Potiphar leaves everything in the hands of Yosef, as he is trustworthy, and he's so trustworthy that the only thing Yosef takes from the house is, is, his, is his basic necessities, is his food. He doesn't take home a stapler, he doesn't take home anything that he does not, that's not a basic necessity. And Ramban writes uh, there, 
unlike people that work at other people's homes who will take some, something beyond their needs. It says Yosef just eats his meal. Ibn Ezra brings an interesting comment, commentary here. After telling us of Yosef's involvement in the household of Potiphar, we're telling that there's an exception to his involvement. He can do any everything, except there's one thing he can't do. The one thing that Yosef can't do is prepare food for Potiphar, because Egyptians will not eat food prepared by the Hebrews as is considered an abomination. And Ibn Ezra will mention later on, when Yosef's brothers come down to Egypt and they have lunch together, the, Yosef, the brothers don't know that Yosef is not, a, is not an Egyptian, and that's why Yosef has to orchestrate such things that, in such a way that Yosef, the brothers eat in a separate room than Yosef, so that they can continue thinking he's really an Egyptian. So he said it's an abomination, and therefore he has control of everything. The one thing he can't do is prepare his meal. Shadalo argues with this Ibn Ezra's idea, and, and said, though Egyptians don't eat, don't dine together with the Hebrews, they have absolutely no problem eating food that is prepared by Hebrew slaves, or even even with a Hebrew slave. And it was the custom of the time that a slave was obligated to accept his master's faith. We're very familiar with this idea from all the laws of an Evid Knani, a Canaanite slave who was obligated, was obligated to circumcise and to keep all mitzvot that are not time bound. And finally, fourth explanation, which at first might sound to, to the listeners very bizarre. And this is suggested by Rashi. When the Pasuk tells us that Yosef is in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, and that Potiphar did not withhold anything from Yosef except the bread which he eats, Rashi says that the bread here is euphemism for his wife. Yosef is allowed everything except his wife. I guess Potiphar knows his wife. As first, as I said, this perush uh, might at first glance make us chuckle, raise an eyebrow. But in truth, this perush fits in very nicely with the pshat all of the segments of this verse. Yosef has access to everything except to the wife, and it ends with, and Yosef was good-looking. So this tells us there's good reason why Potiphar would warn Yosef to stay away from his wife, seeing Yosef and knowing his wife. But also later on in the chapter, when Yosef is having a conversation with Potiphar's wife, and he tells Potiphar's wife, that Potiphar had entrusted him with everything and withheld nothing for, from him except you, for you are his wife. Let's listen to the words. Here it says in verse 6, He trusts him with everything except for the bread. And in verse 8 and 9 later on it says, He entrusts me with everything. And he did not withhold anything from me except you, for you are his wife. And it also fits in with the last segment, and Yosef Yefetar Viefet Mar'e. So um, I'm not convinced that this cannot be a pshat answer. Now that we've explained the, the food, let's go to the last part. And Yosef was beautiful, and why is that described here? So according to Rashi, he said it fits in nicely. Sforno said that, Yos that Yosef's beauty is a result of his status. This is continuing describing Yosef's success. Yosef works indoors. And if you work indoors, you look good. People who lurked outdoors were sunburnt, were dirty. And here, 
Yosef is Yefe Tor Yefe Mar'eh. This is a description of his successor. Shadal says that this last segment of the verse, and Yosef was beautiful, really should be read not as ending verse 6, but rather the introduction to the following verses, which we're about to read. Yosef is beautiful and good-looking, which causes the next episode, and, Yosef, and Potiphar's wife lifted up her eyes and saw Yosef. Verse 7, And it was after these matters, and the wife of Yosef's master noticed Yosef, and said to him, Come sleep with me. In general, whenever we see in Tanakh the words, and it was after these matters, it always means that the story we're about to read is closely connected to the previous story. And after these matters, it came to happen, never means just uh, just nice words that connect the previous chapter with this chapter. It is always trying to tell us that there's a close, deep connection between the previous story and the story we're about to read, very often a relationship of cause and result. Had Yosef been a common slave, it is unlikely that Potiphar's wife would have noticed him. It is only once he's promoted and spends a great deal of time in the house that he is noticed by her. And she had and she had noticed him. If you pay attention, her language that she uses is very coarse language, a commanding order, sleep with me. I think we have to read this as a master commanding their slave and assuming that if she uses this commanding language, he will not, re- he will not refuse her. Verse 8 and 11, 8 through 11. So she commanded, sleep with me. Verse 8. And and he refused her and he said to her, My master has complete trust in me. There is no other like me with such a high position in the house. And he had withheld nothing from me except for you, for you are his wife. And how can I do this evil act, this wicked act, and sin to God? And she attempted to seduce Yosef every day, and he did not listen to her to be with her. This story here is really, describes astounding strength of character of Yosef. The ability to defy his master's wife, not to mention, here he has an opportunity to be with a woman. Here he has an opportunity not to feel like a slave. It is difficult not to contrast this story to the previous story of Yehuda when he chooses to go to a prostitute. He sees on the way. As a matter of fact, Ibn Ezra points out the juxtaposition of the story of Yehuda and Tamar and the story of Yosef and the, with the wife of Potiphar to show us the contrast between Yehuda and Yosef. Yosef succeeded in overcoming his desire in a place where Yehuda had failed. And the, I, I think the contrast is even greater than that. It's not just here he succeeds in a place where Yehuda has failed, where Yosef has really good reason to, to be uh, seduced. He's a, he, when's the last time we saw Yosef with a woman? When's the last time that he could feel so good about himself that here he is desired by his master's wife? So that's uh, Ibn Ezra's very important point as far as the juxtaposition of the two stories. 
Yosef, in trying to push off with the wife of Potiphar, makes the following argument. And how can I do such a wicked thing and sin before God? For God, what's wicked about this act is that it is a betrayal of his master who had trusted him. And therefore, even if the master is never going to find out, it is a nonetheless considered a wicked act in the eyes of God. And that's why we have that repetition. This is a sin also in the eyes of God. And he refuse, refuses her, pushing her off. And then that fatal day comes, verse 11. And it was on that day that and he came home to do his work, and none of the people of the house were home at that time. The word that repeats itself three times in this verse is the word home, house. Home, home, home. As a matter of fact, this word, if you paid attention, appears several times in this entire chapter. It appears 19 times in this very story. And in general, in the entire story of Yosef, it appears numerous times. The story here is a story of Yosef trying to find himself a bite, a place to settle. Yosef was kicked out of his home, and he's now looking for a home. And when we read very closely this verse, and he came home. One certainly gets the impression of Yosef's test here. Here, a woman is giving Yosef attention. A, he has a rare opportunity of feeling that he, too, has a home. It doesn't say that he came to Potiphar's house. It says he came home, his place, where he can feel his life is worth more than that of just a slave, worth more than cattle. And perhaps that's why he chooses to come home. He chooses to come home, and he chooses to come home when no one is home. This is no coincidence that he chooses to come home when no one is home. And the reader, I believe, gets the feeling that Yosef is really torn here. Yosef is looking for that warmth. He's looking for that attention. He's looking for that home. And that's when he comes. And the reader really doesn't know, if, without knowing the ending, the reader here doesn't know how is this going to unfold. And here the story, the next verse is about to take a surprising shift. He comes home, and verse 12, She grabbed onto his clothing and said, Lie with me. And he left his clothes, clothes in her hands and ran out. He runs out of the home. He comes to the home, but he's going to run out of the home. Here, once again, we have in our story the clothing, the beged. Said clothing is going to repeat itself in the stories of Yosef several times. She grabs onto his beged. Beged is written in, in the Hebrew in a very interesting way. Batit peseu bibigdo. Bibigdo is grabbed onto his betrayal. She sees, she might have seized the moment when Yosef could be seduced. And the greatness of Yosef here is here. When Yosef gives up his baguette, leaves his garment in her hands. This is the second time since we've met Yosef in, this, in chapter 37, where Yosef is going to lose his clothing, once by force of his brothers. And here he chooses to leave his clothing. When Yosef's ketonet is torn off, Yosef is stripped not only of his ketonet, but he is stripped of his status, of the, of, of the, the beloved child, 
Here, too, his clothing represents his high status in the house of Potiphar. I imagine a servant in the house of Potiphar has different clothing than the slaves that are working outside. But here, unlike in the story of the Ketonet, where it is forced, forced upon him to give it up, here he willingly gives up that status. Vayazov bigdo. It doesn't say that that she that he is forced to give it. He leaves it. Yosef has come a long way from the Yosef that we met in our first class, where Yosef is flaunting the ketonet, we're living up the dreams, living the ketonet, to Yosef here, who is willingly giving up his clothing. As soon as he runs out of the house, the wife of Potiphar raises her voice loud and cries out. And we'll be reading now verse 14 through 18. Vatikra l'anshei veita vatomer lahem nemor, reu hevi lanu, ish ivri l'tzachek banu. She called to the people of her house and said to them, Look! Potiphar had brought us this Hebrew man to mock us. The word that's used in, in the Tanakh is Litzachek. Litzachek is a difficult word. Sometimes it has sexual connotations. He had come to sleep with me, and I had cried out. When he heard my cry, he left his garment with me and ran out. She left his clothing by her till her husband returned, and she told him these words. The Hebrew slave had you had brought us came upon me to mock me. Again, that word, Litzachek. And as I screamed, he left his clothing in my hand and ran out. Let's examine these verses. The story that, Poti the story that Potiphar tells her household is a story that's repeated three times. The first time we are told the story by the narrator, as it happened, what happened between Yosef and the wife of Potiphar. That's the objective story. Secondly, we're told the story when the wife of Potiphar speaks to her servants. And thirdly, the story is repeated once again by the wife of Potiphar to when, she, when her husband returns home that day. Nechama Leibowitz always liked to analyze a story that is repeated more than once and notice this, this, the slight differences between them, slight though yet significant. We don't have time within this framework to see all the differences between the three stories. I urge you all to look both at in the Ramban on these verses as well as in the Chama's book Studies in Sefer Bereshit. Uh, but I will bring up, nonetheless, I'll bring up two, uh, two interesting differences. In the objective story, we're told that Yosef left the beged, the clothing, in her hand. However, when she repeats the story to her husband, she says, he left the coat by me. Why does she change from her hand to by me? The need to make this change is because the only way Yosef could have left the garment in her hand is if she grabbed onto it. Now, of course, she won't want she won't want to bring that piece of information, so she changes it. Not that he left it in my hand; she le he left it by me. Also, an additional difference, when she speaks to the people of the, of the household, to the servants, she is interested in their empathy. She's interested in their, and them identifying with her. Therefore, she says, look, he, Paro, had brought to us, this Hebrew man, to mock us. Reu, hevi lanu, 
איש עברי לצחק בנו, us. She puts them in the same group with her. Generally, a slave will naturally identify with the slave. She or she wants them to identify with her. So they, she makes them into a common group. We have to, she and the slaves have the common enemy, Yosef, who wants to, um, who's betraying them, attacking them. However, when she talks to her husband, then she doesn't say us. He didn't, doesn't say she come to us. Or to mock us, she says, to mock me, l'tzachek bi. When the wife of Potiphar talks to her husband, she wants her husband to view this as a personal offense. And therefore, she says, l'tzachek bi. Let's go on to verse 19. kishma adonav et divrei ishto, asher dibra alav lemor kadbarim ha'ele asali avdecha, vayichar apo. When his master heard these words, these words of his wife, he was angry, And as we will see from the verses that follow, it's not clear who he's angry at. I want to read this verse again. When, upon hearing the words of his wife saying that this is what your servant has done, he was angry. And the verse does not end with he was angry at Yosef. And therefore it's not far-fetched to suggest that he is not angry with Yosef, but rather with the wife of Potiphar. He's not angry with Yosef because he trusts Yosef. He is angry with his wife who forces him into such a situation that he's going to have to get rid of Yosef. Because if it doesn't, he doesn't get rid of Yosef, even though he trusts Yosef, it will look bad that he trusts a slave more than he trusts his wife. Trust Yosef. But we will see, nonetheless, he tries to look out for Yosef. Let's go to verse 20 through 22. ויקח אדוני יוסף אותו, ויתנהו אל בית הסוהר, מקום אשר אסירי המלך אסורים, ויהי שם בבית הסוהר. ויהי אדוני את יוסף, ויית אליו חסד, ויתן חינו בעיני שר בית הסוהר. ויתן שר בית הסוהר ביד יוסף את כל האסירים אשר בבית הסוהר, ואת כל אשר עושים שם הוא היה עושה. אין שר בית הסוהר רואה את כל מאומה בידו, באשר אדוני איתו. ואשר הוא עושה, אדוני מצליח. And Yosef's master had taken Yosef and placed him in prison, where the king's prisoners were placed. And he was in prison, and God was with Yosef, and he found favor in the eyes of the, prisoner's officer, the prison's officer. And he was appointed in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the officer of the prison paid no attention to anything under Yosef's care, because God was with Yosef, And he gave, and God made him successful in whatever he did. These ending verses are almost identical to the opening verses of today's class. Which, oh, today's class opened up with Yosef's success, and God was with him, and God appointed him in charge. The words are almost the exact same words, except instead of being in the house of Potiphar, it is in the prison. Yosef does not lose anything by doing the morally the right thing. thing. But more than that, these verses prove what I suggested just a short while ago, that Potiphar does not believe Yosef to be guilty. Otherwise, he would have executed him. Certainly, he would not have put him in the royal prison. And who is the officer of the royal, the royal prison? If we read in, verse four, in chapter 40, verse 3, we're told that the, 
the baker and the butler, are put in prison. The baker and the butler are put in prison in the house of Sar HaTabachim. Sar HaTabachim is Potiphar. What are they doing in Sar HaTabachim's house? As we recall, at the very beginning of the class, we said Sar HaTabachim is the chief executioner, and that's why he has in his house, he has the prison. Now, we've noticed there's an interesting word here. We have a Beit HaSohar. This is the first time that this word appears, which is, means prison. And the commentators try to figure out what is the root of this word. Ibn Ezra says that it's possible that this is an Egyptian word. And indeed, we'll come across very soon to several Egyptian words as our story shifts to Egypt. Ramban suggests that it comes from the word Sohar, 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 which is a window or light, source of light. The prison is a pit. Later on, it's going to be called a bow, a pit. And it was a pit that had a small window, and that's hence the, the name Beit Hasar. Verse 22. I just want to explain the ending of this verse. Everything that they do, he would do. And what, what does this mean? It says, he was in charge of them. Everything they would do, they would do because he had ordered them. So we see that he has a very high status. Verse 23, the officer of Beit Asura is com completely trust Yosef as God is with him and everything he does, God is behind him. And this is a beautiful way to end this chapter. And perhaps the ending sentence would be, Yosef does not lose anything by behaving in a morally right way. And this is the beginning of Yosef's change of character from Yosef, who is obsessed with himself, mentions God, does not, never mentions God's name, never cries out to God in the pit, never attributes the dreams to God. Here we end with a clear recognition of God's in his life, which will be continuing next, next class when we meet uh, the baker and the butler.